Hey guys, what's going on? This is Chris Mead from the DTCX Exceptional E-Commerce Podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Chase Diamond. We're literally going to be talking today about our biggest mistakes, right? Chase is well, well known in the e-commerce industry, an email wizard, owns his own agency, has been building brands for a long, long time. And I just want to chop it up with you, man. You've been uh, running CrossNet's emails for almost two years now. We've known each other for a long time, but yeah, just want to thank you for coming on. Dude, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. How would you uh, describe yourself right now these days? You're, you do a lot of personal branding. You run your own newsletter. You have an agency. Like, what's a day to day look like? Yeah, I describe myself at the kind of the center of it as like an e-commerce email marketing nerd, right? I really resonate, and like I really am weirdly obsessed with email. And within that, as you mentioned, I do a couple things. So really, my primary focus is working with seven to nine figure e-commerce brands, helping them scale engagement and revenue through email uh, and more recently SMS. And then outside of that, do like a free weekly newsletter, paid newsletter courses. So really just focused on adding value to clients and then other folks in the industry just to help everyone really level up. Okay. And how, how long ago you get started doing all that? Like what, what first like piqued your interest doing it? Yeah. Okay. So the the long story short, the, the short version of this is when I was 13 years old, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, basically went an entire year without having a diagnosis. So I was sick for a whole year. And finally, at 14, I learned that I had Crohn's disease. So I took it upon myself to be like, hey, there's no cure for this. But at least if you have this, you want to know what you have so you can be treated. So from 14 to 16, I basically dedicated my life to raising awareness and fundraising for this disease. And email just happened to be one of those things that I kind of tested and tried. So in some regard, I've been doing it since I was 14, but I've really been doing it more seriously in the e-commerce space for four years. And then prior to that, for three years prior, I was building massive online communities through cold email. So built an email travel series from zero to 500,000 subscribers in 2017. You know, in 2015, 2016, I built an ed tech platform that connected students at college campuses to others in their classroom, scaled that to hundreds of thousands of college students on the back of cold email. So in the cold email space and email in general, kind of really seriously for the past like six to eight years, but really started it by accident as a kid trying to raise awareness. That's crazy, dude. That's just like CrossNet, right? We just uh, written down an idea one night and four-way volleyball. And now here we are five years later, still selling it and slinging nets on the internet. It's nuts. That's crazy. It's so cool. So talk to me about when do you think, so the whole premise of the show, right, is our biggest... What are the mistakes that we're doing as brand, like that you have made on the email side, but also on the brand side? When do you think a, a brand should really start working with an email agency? Because that's a question I'm sure you get all the time. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts. I want to start with like how I think agencies and brands should position their team, and then I think where it makes sense to work with an in-house team versus an agency versus a consultant. So let's start okay. on, on the brand side. So I think a brand needs to have four roles and this could be four individual people or this could, these tasks could be shared across one, two, maybe three people. They need some kind of marketer or strategist, right? Someone that really understands email. Email is very different than SEO. It's very different than paid ads. So someone that really understands retention, you know, what are the things that we need to do to move the needle? So some kind of marketer or strategist, there needs to be someone that owns that. The next two pieces are design and copy, right? So what your email looks like is obviously the designer, all the visual, and how your copy is felt and read, all the text, right, copywriter. So those typically are going to be two different people, right? They're both creative, but designers are very different skill set than copywriters, right? So we have marketer, we've got copywriters, we've got designers. 
And then the last one, and again, this is kind of optional, depends on the size of the brand. You don't necessarily need this, but you could have like an email developer or someone technical that can custom code emails that can make integrations talk. In, sure, you can use like a Zapier or an Allo automation, those types of things, but someone technical mm-hmm. that could build cool forms on landing pages that could really build AMP-based emails, a, a developer. So the four okay. rules that I think people should have, again, marketer, copywriter, designer, developer. And the one that I'd add for the agency that all agencies need, right? They need those four. The fifth one I'd add for the agency is an account manager, right? We're working with brands like you, working with a bunch of other brands. We need someone that's really client-facing, that's going to take all the notes, that's going to set up the campaign boards, that's going to do the reporting. So those are kind of the roles in which I think people need to have on the brand and agency side. Make sense? Yeah, complete sense. So if you don't have those five roles, like which we don't have internally at CrossNet, that's when you think it makes the most sense for a brand to work with an agency like yours. Yeah, and to kind of expand about that. So I think there's like different stages. And I think like there's four main stages of a brand. Let's say like zero to $500,000 a year in revenue. Let's say 500000 to maybe like a million dollars, maybe a million to five and then five million onward, right? So I think in like the zero to $500,000 stage, you as a founder, you as like a small team, you have to kind of hack it together yourself, right? Do whatever you can get enough Absolutely. out there, right? Get a few of the core automated flow set up, right? So the welcome series for non-buyers, the abandoned checkout, and like the customer thank you, right? Get those core automations set up. They don't have to be perfect. Something is better than nothing. Try to aim to send at least one campaign a week. Your list isn't going to be massive, but aim for like one campaign per week, right? That's like that yep. really s- s- kind of starting phase. As you're scaling like to 500,000 to a million, I think it makes sense at that point as you have some cash flow as the list grows. There's a cu- few options you can take this. One is to hire a freelancer, right? So someone that's working with a handful of clients that's a freelancer, they know enough, but they don't have to be this expensive agency. They don't have to be crazy, just a freelancer. Mm -hmm. Or you kind of start to look for like a smaller and mid-sized agency, right? Someone that will come in, do enough, but won't break the bank. I think really where it gets exciting for us working with brands and brands working with us is when they're doing north of a million dollars a year, right? So one to five million, five to 10 million and onward. I think it really makes sense to scale the freelancer way more and maybe bring them in-house, build out your in-house team. But really, I think an agency makes sense like in that seven-figure range because, you know, say you want to work with us, you know, and we're five to $10,000 a month, let's say. For you to build mm-hmm. all those roles in-house, you're probably looking at at least $10,000 a month, right? Dude, absolutely. And, and, and that's exactly company. why we still work with you. You know, like yeah. I could go sit there and waste my time trying to hire for three or yeah. four months to build out what you guys do. But you've proven yourself for two years now where it's like, yeah. why, would I, why would I go do that and waste my time? Yeah, you have to find people. You have to manage them. So again, there's no right or wrong. I think the approach that you've taken has been the right one, right? You guys did it yourself yeah. to hack it together. You then had a freelancer. Now you have an agency. And then the, the last thing I'll say is, and there's a guy that does this really, really well. His name is Danny Buck. He runs a couple brands like Crafted and Honu and Circular. Okay. And we've been actually consulting with him for two years. So we've never done uh, for him. Like we don't do it for him. He has a team that we've actively kind of managed and trained and built over time. And he's consulted for us because he was at the eight-figure range and he had people internal already. So he wants everything internal, but he wants to use consultants like us to be able to level up his people and see things that they're not seeing, right? We're working with over 100 brands, so we've got access on a micro and macro level of what's working and what's not working. So I think that's the other end of it too, right? It's like, do it yourself in the early days. Try to outsource it to like a freelancer or a small agency, Bring in someone then like us or whoever that's working with players that are in your space. And then maybe if you bring it in-house, leverage a consultant, whether that's monthly, whether that's once a quarter, 
whether that's bringing someone in to do paid audits. I think there's a lot of ways that you can skin it and there's no one size fits all. Okay. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And those are definitely like good directions for anyone starting their e-commerce brand or like growing theirs to like where CrossNet is today. Like you need those fundamentals in place. And we missed out on so much revenue, man. I remember when we first started, it was just like free money. So like that, that's a huge horror story for me when I think about my biggest mistake as an owner is we waited on email for so long and it, it was so damn fun the first few weeks we were with you guys because every time we hit send, it was like, oh, here's $10,000, here's $50,000. This is like free, free money. So I'm sure yeah. you see so many brands that make that same mistake too. Yeah, 100%. And, and kind of like, I, I think in like frameworks and I have a lot of these like rules. So I want to kind of talk about like what you're kind of talking about right now. So uh, when someone comes to us and whether we actually see their Klaviyo account or not, when they tell us that they're doing this much revenue coming from email, there's likely things mm. that they are or aren't doing. So let's start like in the first phase. So most people are probably in the zero to 10% of revenue coming from email. They probably yeah. aren't sending enough campaigns per week. They probably don't have enough of the core flow set up. They probably have not even thought about optimizing them. It's like, hey, maybe we have the welcome series and a few others set up, but we haven't thought about it in three years. They probably mm. aren't optimizing uh, the sign up forms to collect as much traffic as they can, right? And they probably are just batching and blasting. So, you know, yeah. how do you- what, what's, a do good, you, what's a good opt-in rate, you think? So I'm always like tweaking my opt-in, like my, my Clavio pop-up and all of that. What do you think is like a solid good benchmark? Yeah, it depends. So uh, Privy has data and they were at least a report on like 500 million signups or something. And there's three different kind of like offers and they each kind of lend themselves to a different conversion. So if you tell someone just sign up to my list to find out the latest and the greatest, it's not that exciting. You can expect mm -hmm. about 1% of people to give you their email. So every 100 people okay. to your website that aren't on your list, you would expect about one person to give you their email if you say, just sign up, right? It's kind of boring. The next one is Super. this kind of incentive or discount or offer. So $10 off, 10% off, free shipping. You can see it right around the ballpark of like five-ish percent, right? That could be 4%, that could be 8%. But based off their traffic, when you're offering some kind of discount, you're going to see around 5% of cold traffic giving their email. And by cold traffic, mm -hmm. I just mean people that are not already on your email list. And the yeah. last one is like this whole enter to win. So there's like this giveaway type thing. So with you guys that sell, obviously, cross nets and volleyballs and sunscreen and all these different things that you guys sell, might do something like, hey, win our H2O kind of cross net, right? Or win our indoor one or outdoor one, whatever it is. Yep. And that could be a weekly or that could be a monthly giveaway. That's seeing about 10% of people actually opting in. That being said, Damn. there's caveats to each one, right? And we're not going to even talk about the 1% the one to sign up because that's kind of boring. Yeah. But most people should be doing the discount or the enter to win. When I say yeah. that 10% of people are doing the discount one, or sorry, the enter to win, everyone immediately is like, oh, I have to go do that. And I think it's worth testing. However, there's different things. Like with the discount, it's more immediate, right? You're going to be able to see people pretty quickly convert through that pop-up kind of on site that confirmation is going to give the code and then the email. Yeah. However, with the enter to win, it's going to be a little bit longer of a cycle where you're going to have to wait the week or the month to draw the winners and then kind of go from there and convert people over time. So it's a little bit more drawn out, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. So there's no really right versus wrong. It's like whatever resonates with your brand and test it to, you know, comparatively to see does getting more emails and then the slower kind of conversion net out higher versus the discount we're losing a little bit of margin. So there's, that's kind of how I think about it. It's so tough. It's like from my perspective, right, bro? Like I'm always trying to make revenue every day. Like I care about going to bed and having money, but that comes with the consequence of over discounting. Yeah. like saturating the audience and doing things the right way, which is how do I make CrossNet last for the next 50 years? So 
yeah, it's a tough balance. And of course, like it sucks to think about, hey, you're putting people in this raffle. 99.9% of them are going to lose and they may wait because, hey, if I can win a free $150 game or a free vacation, I'm going to I'm gonna wait to see what happens. But yeah, it's, it's a scary concept uh, to, to, to know that you're making people intentionally maybe not buy uh, just for the longevity of the brand. And that's so tough when you're yeah. trying to make your brand pay your rent at some point, right? Like I'm trying not to get back to my real job and I'm just trying to get this off the ground. How are you going to tell me not to not to take the money right now. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think the the other thing there that's kind of interesting, right? It's like on the the opt-in side. Like it's hard because yeah, you don't want to give the the margin up front, but then you don't want to wait to see if they're convert a bit later. And I think the biggest mistake I see when people go the giveaway route is they give away something mm-hmm. that they don't sell. So it's like you guys obviously sell crossnet, right? The four-way volleyball stuff. Imagine if you guys started giving away an iPhone. Like, why would you give away an iPhone? But like, people think about that, right? They think about, let's give away a Tesla. Let's give away an iPhone, an iPad. And it's like, there's no congruency between like what that front end offer is and what you sell. So you're going to end up with a bunch of people on your list that are not valuable. You're going to have people that are entering three or four of their own emails, right? You're going to have people. That's such a good, dude, we've been talking, we've been talking internally about doing a free summer vacation, right? Like a family of four vacation to go play cross net on some island or a beach, right? But you're right. You're you're spending money to capture people who want the free vacation. Like my mom, she doesn't care about cross net. She wants the free vacation. So right, right. that makes a that makes a really good point. I mean, there's been so many times we've done like email things to try to capture thousands of people. We're spending money. We're seeing the Snapchat swipe ups, but it's terrible. It's people not engaging with your product. They're engaging with the offer, which doesn't have anything to do with your brand. It's like you're just wasting money at that point. Yeah, and like for you, like the pivot of like instead of doing the travel to like an island or something, like the next cross net tournament that you host, right? Maybe you'll fly out some lucky winner to stay with you guys and participate in the tournament, right? So it's like they yeah. are getting, you know, quote unquote a vacation, but that vacation specifically is to go to a beach in San Diego or LA or Orange County or wherever it's gonna be, yeah, or yeah. Miami to go play cross net with you guys, right? It's gonna be like, hey, come spend the weekend with the cross net founders. You know, we're gonna teach you guys about how we do the back end of the warehouse. We're gonna show you guys the tournaments. We're gonna let you compete. I think like that would be like a cool kind of middle ground where it's like no, that absolutely. is exciting and noteworthy, but it's directly related to competing and really being a fanatic. It's like, sure, maybe your mom might enter into that, but probably not, right? Because if she wins, it's like, is she really gonna want to go play cross net on a beach with a yeah. bunch of strangers? Probably not. No, absolutely. How are you thinking about, so I know it's kind of this pending doom of all this stuff happening with our email inbox and people are not going to have open rates and I'm I'm not the the email expert like you are, but how should people be preparing for this next doomsday that I'm hearing about with email? Should they be shifting all their focus over to SMS? Is it going to be as bad as the iOS situation? Give us some intel there. Yeah. So iOS 15, I don't remember exactly when it rolled out, but I think at some point like in Q3, Q4 is kind of like when yeah, it rolled out of August, 2021. Yeah, August, yeah. September of, of 2021, it kind of rolled out. And, and fortunately, like when we think about Q4, it's like we had a lot of historical data on people. So most of the time when we're running segments, it's like a 30, 60, 90, 120 day, right? Depending on what you're doing. We, we were able to collect and keep a lot of the people who were engaged over a period of time. So for Q4, we thought it was going to be a lot more detrimental than it actually was. And I think it's because the recency, right? Had this thing happened in... March of 2021, it would have been a lot different of a story. That being said, like ESP, so email service providers like Klaviyo and the other, they're coming out with kind of interesting ways to be able to figure out like who on your list is actually being open or based off of Apple or who's actually opening it, right? So that's kind of like a newer rollout that Klaviyo in particular had. And I think some of the other ESPs are probably going to roll that out in the future. So now we can actually segment saying, 
hey, we had maybe a thousand people open this email. Of those thousand people, what were the percentage of people that actually legitimately opened it? And what were the percentage of people that were Apple opens, right? So we can kind of start getting a little bit more info and like what before this rollout was a little bit gray. So mm-hmm. is it ideal? No. Is it scary a little bit? Is it the end of the world? Absolutely not. And now with some of these updates to kind of how you can segment people, it's a little bit less scary. So iOS 14, 14.5, the stuff that affected top of funnel, that has been devastating, right? That's been really drastic in terms of impact on small businesses, large businesses and whatnot. iOS 15, it sucks. It's a bump in the road, but it's nothing major kind of in the long run. Like we're still going to send emails. We're still going to make money. We're going to focus on other things like getting people to click and getting people to reply and looking at people who that are active on the site and starting checkout and adding to cart and viewing products, right? So that's that's that portion of it. So definitely continue doing email or if you haven't done email, start. The second piece that you mentioned is SMS. And I don't think it's an email or SMS conversation. I think it's an email and SMS. I really do believe it should be both. Obviously, I'm an email guy, so I'm going to say email through and through. But I think there's pros and cons to, to both. And I think mostly there's upside to both. So I think the pros of email is in terms of what you pay, you pay the Clavio, you pay your ESP one price per month and you send a bunch of emails. So it's a lot more cost effective. You also can send a lot more messages, right? You could send two, three, four, five campaigns a week. You can also send automations. You can be a lot longer in terms of what you're communicating. So I think it's a really great way to deliver content, deliver information that gives Mm -hmm. people enough trust about the brand. On the flip side, right? Like, depending on your open rate, you might be getting 20, 30% open rate. Whereas with SMS, you're probably near 100%. So with SMS, what I like is the immediacy of the channel, right? It's it's super engaging. People are going to open it and a click-through is higher. So I think the, yeah. the revenue per recipient of SMS is higher. The downside though is you have to pay every single time for every single person, right? And if you have multiple messages and if it's MMS, it's more expensive. That being said, the people that are doing it right the cost is going to be really minimal towards the revenue but it's going to be more expensive of a channel and you have to be more delicate like you could probably only send one text a week so that's kind of the the main points and then i think the other thing is like email is crowded right email has so many people so like it is what it is whereas sms it's still pretty wide open where i think right now you're going to have the highest open rates the highest click-throughs the highest engagement the highest revenue but as sms becomes as i don't want to say saturated as email but as popular as email, let's say, I think the open rates and the click-through rates are going to go down. So I think if you're going to do SMS, you have to jump on that wagon right now. I agree. Completely agree. We're trying to do it at least once a week. It's a tough balance because you don't want to do flash sale every time and you want to do something engaging to make them open it and actually respond back. We've we've been thinking about doing things like, yo, we're online for the next hour. Ask us anything about CrossNet. What rules are confusing? What things do you have questions? Like make it more conversational like you're texting a friend rather than just trying to get somebody to put their credit card in. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So two, two last questions on, on the email and the SMS stuff. I, as a founder hate wasting money on stuff that I shouldn't be wasting my money on. Right. So how would you quickly, like, how do we, how do we clean the graveyard? Right. There's all these dead emails that are no longer responding. There's all these phone numbers that aren't responding, which like, what are you doing every 30 days or 60 days to like clean out the dead bodies? So we're not paying for them. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we we worked with this brand as a quick antidote. We worked with this brand, had a million people on their list, right? They're like telling us when we came, we had a million people on our yeah. list. When we came in and we actually looked at how many people had opened, let's say over the last six months, which is a pretty generous engaged segment, there was like mm-hmm. 400,000 people, right? So there were 600,000 people that hadn't opened this last six months. And, and they're paying for it. And they're paying for it. And when we drill it down yeah, even further, crazy. there was like an overwhelming percentage of those people that hadn't opened in the last year. 
And then when we drilled even further, there's so many people that never purchased, right? So these people aren't opening, they aren't clicking, and they aren't buying. These guys were paying thousands of dollars extra every month to Clavio. So immediately we already like went in and we justified our costs. It's like, cool, you're paying five yeah, k right. We just immediately saved you five to ten k on yeah. your Clavio bill. You're welcome, right? Absolutely. So so to, to not be in that situation, which a lot of people are. I think the best way to do it is through this thing that's called a sunset unengaged. And it's basically a fancy way of saying it's a breakup series. So you build out a segment within your ESP that someone has received X number of emails and hasn't opened them, right? So someone's received 15 emails over the last 90 days and hasn't opened, clicked, purchased, been active on your site, et cetera. What we're going to do is we're going to funnel them into an automation that says, hey, Chris, we haven't seen you around here lately, wanted to check in. You know, let us know if you want to keep receiving emails from us. If you don't, just mm-hmm. click here, right? And then essentially, the people can kind of stay opted in. They can opt out. And the people that don't open or click or do anything with those emails will automatically receive a tag as unengaged equals true. So then we'll go into the Clavio monthly, quarterly, however often. And then we'll manually kind of run a segment to suppress those people. And that way, you just save 1,000 profiles. You just save 5,000, 10,000 profiles, which adds up $50, $100, $200. Crazy. Yeah. That's wild. All right, cool. Well, definitely do that if you haven't done that. Like, you need to check that out for sure. Tools. What are we using? I used to use Privy. I moved to Clavio when I started working with you guys. What what new stuff are you using? Where do you recommend people starting off? Is where do they graduate to? Is it Shopify to Shopify Plus? What's it looking like? Yeah, like almost every one of our customers is on Shopify or Shopify Plus. I know at the end of the day, that's like a business decision. There are obviously yeah. pros towards Shopify Plus, but it's also pretty expensive. So does it weigh out? I I don't know. It depends. Uh, hard, yeah. hard for us to say as the email agency, there are emails that you can basically pause within Shopify and send from Clavio instead if you're on Shopify Plus. But if that's the only reason to do it, I don't think it makes sense. So yeah, Shopify Shopify Plus is where most people are on. We have very few people outside of that ecosystem. Yeah, Clavio for sure, the go-to e-com email platform, obviously gorgeous and whatnot for service, customer support, you know, tickets, that type of thing. Personally, big fan of Triple Whale for analytics and attribution. You know, a lot of our clients are using all of the SMS platforms, right? So some of us are on Postscript. A lot of our clients are on Postscript. A lot are on Attentive. A few are on Clavio. A few are on Via. A few are on SMS Bump. So I don't really have any set loyalty on SMS. It's kind of like whatever people are set up with, we'll rock and roll with. I do see benefit to having them all under one platform. It's kind of like this tug and pull. Like, does it make sense to have it in Clavio? Yeah, kind of. Um, So I don't know. There's a bunch of things. But those are kind of like the main ones, like Clavio. Gorgeous, Triple Whale, I don't know, Postscript, Tentive, yeah. SMS Bump, etc. I know you guys use Notion to keep all your stuff organized, yes. and then we use Figma to like kind of drop yes. all the emails. So that's been really good. Cool. Yeah, Notion, Notion question. has been huge. And then Figma is the process we use for designing emails. Not to be too pluggy, but I'm actually building a really cool uh, email design platform, which I'll share more about later. That's going to make cool. it way easier for non-designers, non-technical people to actually create beautiful emails. I love it. We'll we'll get the the newsletter link plugged in yeah. the in the YouTube comments. Cool. <laughs> I got you. Last question, because it's more of a, a selfish. I'm just genuinely curious, right? Like most agency owners, they create their agency to either one collect a good paycheck every month, or two yeah. eventually sell the company, right? Like, and you've been fortunate to like you had Boundless, and yeah. Boundless turned into Structured, correct? Like you guys yeah. got acquired by Structure. Talk to me through that relationship for the agency owners that are listening. That. Or, hey, I'm starting my agency today. I got my first client. I yeah. want to end up like Chase. How do I get this thing acquired? What does that look like? Talk me through that whole thing and, and stuff that you wish you would have knew. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I wish I would have known. I think when we were in the balance <laughs> days, one of the, the things was like, 
we we didn't initially set out to start an agency. It was just myself and a partner, and we basically were just doing some cool work. But we were almost were like almost freelancers that happened to be under one roof. So everything that we collected in terms of like monthly billables, we just pocketed. We didn't have any sense of saving money and putting it into an account and building like cash flow. Mm-hmm. So I think that was like one big learning is like know what you're building. It's okay to be a freelancer. Uh, it's okay to be an agency, but like pick your path. So I wish we had picked the path sooner because it wasn't for like the first six months that we realized like, oh, wow, we do cool work. People like working with us. Maybe we should hire people and, and just not be the mm-hmm. two dudes that are going to be doing this for forever. So cash flow and money in the bank is huge. I think that would have been great. Two is I think really figuring out like that structure that I laid out earlier on like, what does your team look like? And we call it a pod, right? So at an agency, right, the pod should be marketer, designer, copywriter, account manager, and developer right? How quickly can you build that first pod of people that are complementary to you, right? So for, for me, as a marketer, I wanted to hire a copywriter, a designer, an account manager, and a developer, right? So basically finding the other roles that would work with me. And then once I built that pod, how do I remove myself as the marketer and bring someone in, right? And then I can go build pod two and I can be the marketer on pod two, find the designer, the copywriter, et cetera, and then remove myself and go to the next one. I think for a long time, myself and my partner got too stuck into each of the pods without pulling ourselves out of one that now instead of being across all the pods up here, we were basically in all the pods and all the day to day, right? So I think like understanding like where you're good and what your strengths are and what your goals are and really documenting everything. I wish we had recorded ourselves on Loom from day one. I wish we had built out all these kind of project management and systems and procedures, right? From the beginning. Versus having to go back when we hire people and be like, oh man, like what do we do with these people? Right. So cash flow, really understanding like the structure of what you're building and how you as a founder fit in now, but how you're going to fit in, in the future. And the goal is to be removed from the day to day and really be more Makes managerial sense. and strategic and really making sure that you're documenting what you're doing as you're doing it. Because when you go back and do it later, you're too busy, you're going to rush through it and it's not going to be the same. I say like those are like the three kind of like core learnings in terms of like the foundation in terms of like getting acquired, merging with other people, those types of thing. That's like a whole nother conversation. And it wasn't something that like we necessarily like intended to do. We were doing what we did. We happened to work a lot with other paid agencies because emails only as good as the traffic and the leads that you have coming through. Right. We're not magicians. We can't just make email revenue out of nothing. Right. So we wanted to find a partner that was strong on top of the funnel that would really be complementary to making sure that we had the right quality of leads coming through. And that, that that way, for them, as Facebook was getting more expensive and more volatile, they'd have a good email team to be able to convert and kind of pick up some of the profitability that you're losing on top of the funnel. So it wasn't anything we did intentionally, but it's something that worked out where uh, we were able to kind of cross-sell clients, really be able to be a really strong agency. And I, I saw that the way that things were going is like, you don't want to work with eight different agencies, right? One for email, one for SMS. There will have yeah, to be yeah, a little absolutely. bit of consolidation, right? Instead of working with eight, you probably want to work with like three or four really, really good agencies that maybe have like one or two service offerings. I talk about all my particular team does is email and SMS. All the team that we partner with, all they do is paid social and paid search, right? Absolutely. And it's so important. Like, that's exactly why we started working with you guys for paid too, was our email team was not talking to paid. Paid was running different offers and now putting those under one roof was just like the absolute game changer. So dope, dude, I, this is super helpful. Um, so, so damn helpful. What about the last question I got is when it came time to hiring, cause I've always thought about running my own agency, right? We're building these personal brands. We could definitely plug other people. Yeah. When was that first hire for you? 
that that copywriter like how much revenue or how many clients on board because I'm sure a lot of people are stuck there. They're working 14 hours a night. They're barely sleeping, and they're like, "Shit, yeah. when do I actually hire?" Yeah. So we started Boundless, which was like the email arm in 2018. Prior to that, though, we had done like another small agency that kind of got absorbed into another. So like. Let's say like start of 2018, we kind of started working on this. We kind of formalized and officialized that we were building this agency in June. So that was six months later. We actually tried to hire someone and we didn't have any sense of like having them sign like a non-compete or having them sign agreements. <laughs> so we, we, we ended up bringing this girl in. I won't name names. And then she ended up trying to go after all of our clients. And it set us oh, back. No. We're like, what the heck? So that, that for us made us a little bit gun shy for a little bit where we like needed to recover because we just felt like, we got so cheated and that like anyone yeah. that we were going to hire was going to have that same taste in their mouth. So I think we probably were like six to eight months in. We probably were doing, don't quote me, but in the ballpark about twenty dollars to $30,000 a month in revenue. Uh, but again, it was just us too. So it was pretty much all profit, right? Like we yeah, didn't really course. have any Just your, t- your time. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. We were trading time for money. So $20,000 dollars probably brought in our first person then. And you kind of go through like this evolution, this phase is like when it's just you as a freelancer or just you and a partner, you're going to have like pretty much 100% profit margin. And then as you start hiring people, you're going to drop down pretty drastically. It's going to be kind of scary. You're going to go from like 100% profit margin to probably like 20 to 30%, right? And then over time, right, you're going to find like this sweet spot where like you could probably hopefully get to like this, maybe you'll still be at like 20 or 30, but maybe you get to like 30 or 40, depending on the service. Mm-hmm. Like we offer four different services in the agency and each one has its own profitability. Our email team is the biggest, uh, but it's also the most expensive to run because we need so many people, right? So there's going to be like these ebbs and flows where over time you're going to have way more revenue, way more people. You're going to probably be slightly less profitable, but the overall dollar amount is going to be higher. So it's kind of like interesting as you see like this evolution and probably yeah. same for you guys, like as you're scaling and as you're doing retail and as you're scaling top of the funnel, you're just constantly reinvesting that like you're not necessarily quote unquote getting rich today, but you're setting yourself up for a future exit or a future liquidation event where like you're going to exactly. get dividends that you otherwise wouldn't that are going to pay off tenfold. Absolutely. hundred percent. Love it, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. So you had to recommend one guest to come on here. We only want big hitters. Who should I have? I'm biased, but I'm gonna give my boy Nick Shackelford a, a, a plug. He's already scheduled, bro. So check, check the Shack episode coming out soon. Yeah. Check the Shack one. Who else would be cool? Um, I have a group chat with like Savannah Sanchez and Jason Wong, who are both also great. Savannah's great on TikTok cool. side. I've never talked to I've never talked to Savannah in my life. Let's get her on. Cool. Yeah, she'd be great. I'll make an intro. I love it. All right, bro. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having coming on. Thanks so much. Yeah, Cheers. Peace. So that's another episode of My Biggest Lessons. Each and every week, I'll be having one of my favorite entrepreneurs come on, share their stories, their mistakes, the things they wish they knew. Entrepreneurship's a lonely road, right? You only learn by getting better. You only learn by making mistakes. So I want them to come on, share their stories. If you have somebody in mind that you want on, drop a comment, subscribe, share with a friend. Let's get the best people in the world on here. Thanks for listening.